We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm up your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello, CMOS girlies. Happy Tuesday. We are halfway through September. Isn't that crazy? I just looked at the time and the date on my computer and I was like, wait, when did September start? I forgot about that, but happy that it's getting cool in New York. Emma, how you how you been? I've been good. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how time flies when you're an adult, I guess, because time fly, it hasn't been fun, I feel like recently, but you know, adult life is is an interesting time. Um, I'm good. I've just been swimming a lot. I was really busy with fashion week stuff, doing my little fashion girly things, um, which kind of gets me into my point about celebrating your professional wins. I feel like I had a lot of professional wins, had lots of very intense business conversations with very important people this past week uh, that were related to work. And I think for girlies who are just entering the corporate world or just starting your first job, it's like very easy to get, um, discouraged maybe at work. And you likely perhaps work in an environment that doesn't celebrate your wins all the time. And I'm sure you experience imposter syndrome. So whenever you do have a little win, definitely celebrate that, bring it up to your manager and your one-on-one just so they are aware. So they know that you're doing awesome and incredible stuff. Um, this weekend's been nice. My boyfriend's out of town. So I've been doing a lot of solo stuff, which has been, I think, really good for me. I think like being in a relationship, it's important not to lose sense of like your independence and to not lose sight of other hobbies. Not that I feel like I've experienced that, but it's just something that I'm definitely cognizant about being in a relationship and like with relationships, you definitely have to, you know, sacrifice some things and some of your time to like spend time with that person. That's something that you obviously want to do. And it shouldn't feel like a burden if you truly like love and are meant to be with that person. Um, but I like took myself to like the Dumbo flea market, bought some jewelry, and I've just been taking my time with like cooking because cooking is a little bit, you know, random and sparse when I'm over at uh, my boyfriend's. But yeah, it's been nice just to kind of be a solo girly because I don't get that anymore. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, live, laugh, and love in this in the fall. I feel like a fall kind of brings a new time where you want to do different stuff. I feel like I just think there's like new activities, even though there's literally not because it's like the same damn city we're living in. Um, my only interesting note really is I finally uh, a member of Cold Shower Hive. I never really understood it. I always like when I was just getting like beat by the really hot water in the shower um but i started doing cold showers a few days ago and i'm like oh duh why don't i do this already like it's kind of shocking i haven't done it up to this point but i just never really cared to do it um so that's a fun little thing in my routine my vegetable farmer's back i'm just running that's truly my only notes reading a book about the pharmaceutical industry so that's all that kate's got over here how many more weeks are do you have left of training seven weeks left which feels like a lot and a little at the same time there's like a lot of logistical stuff that's stressing me out about it like getting to the island staten island where you have to start the race you have to take a ferry then a bus then you have to sit there for like two hours so i still don't really know what time i'm starting the race at um so logistically that stuff but you know it's exciting i'll get to like pick up my bib and like race outfit and stuff soon so Hopefully it stays cool because last year, the New York City Marathon, notoriously a bunch of people like passed out and were rushed to medical tents because it was like crazy humid, crazy hot in November because of climate change. So hopefully it's cold this year. I swear to God, I cannot have that happen to me. Yeah. If it's like this weather, maybe a little bit cooler, that would yeah. be nice. This is, I th- I've never have watched the New York City Marathon. This is definitely going to be my first time watching it, obviously, because you're running and I think they wa- they run down like Bedford Ave. Yeah. Um, and if there's swimming beforehand, I can just, you know, peek my head out and watch all the people run by. But Bedford Ave is like a terrible street to run down because it's like so narrow and like yeah, kind of gross. But you know, what yeah, can last, you do? I know last weekend I ran um my long run, I did the actually official marathon course from Williamsburg into Queens into Manhattan because I wanted to just see what it felt like to go on those like two bridges. You have to run four bridges in the whole race. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously the streets are closed off, so it's a lot different, but I've never watched it either because last year I ran the Santa Barbara half the same day as New York marathon. So I was out of town. And then I think it's this thing in New York where like you just kind of end up in the marathon if you're out and about that Sunday, like you're just going to catch yourself in the crowd. Um, So I feel like a lot of people I know that are like my friends that are not running friends are just going to like be out watching the marathon randomly on marathon day, even though they like know I'm training for it. It's been kind of funny to have like predominantly most of my friends not be runners and then like I'm always like talking about running I feel like on social media and they're kind of like what what's going on with the whole running thing you're gonna have but... to share your location with all your like close 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 best friends so yeah. we can all like track you because otherwise I'm like how am I supposed to find people in like this like well they have city? they have a tracker if you get your bib number you can oh. like they do a little like um gps thing uh, with oh, high the... tech yeah I know because they can like predict there's a little chip in all of the bibs so it like shows you mm. Wow, I am so out of touch with the running world. Clearly. No, I didn't know that either until I ran a half because my family was like, how the fuck are we going to find you? And I was like, I think you can just track me on your phone. So, And you can put in like 100 different people. So you could just like put in random people. Like if you're a CMOS girl and you want to cheer me on, you can just, once I'll have my number, you can follow Is me. Is the New York City Marathon after or before your birthday? Before. It's November 5th, 6th, okay. 5th, 6th, something like that. Yeah. Wow. Crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, we have that to look forward to. Birthdays. We're going to be 25. Um, Thank God. My last frontal point, lobe. Yeah. Yeah. 24 has been better than 23. I really hated 23. 
Yeah. Um. Maybe I, don't... I just maybe I just really like having the odd numbers for my birthday. Yeah, I know at least for t- the year of 2023 was probably the worst year I've had in a long time, like on the record historically. Um, But I don't know if 24 was being bad, but I am excited to be 25 and the frontal lobe is developed. Like I've heard a lot of women just be like, yeah, everything is checked in at that point, And I cannot wait for that. Yeah, I can't wait to feel like a new woman once the clock strikes midnight. Uh... Um, Anyway, my last point is that this isn't even like anything that anyone's going to be able to relate to maybe the New York City girlies if you guys like care but the East Village organic medjool dates are so goddamn good I'm really specific about my medjool dates they need to be like plump juicy big I hate when they're like hard and like like a rock and they just like don't have any sweetness to them um I've been buying the medjool dates from Trader Joe's and they're good they're not too bad um but these East Village organic ones, my God, they are so delicious. So if anyone lives in the area and you're like, I want some medjool dates, go down to East Village organic. They're a great little health store. That's really the only one that I go to. I kind of miss when I was younger and I like was so excited about the health and wellness scene. Like I was even thinking about like Perlandra today. I was like, wow, I haven't like been there or like Elm Drug and Wellness for the longest of time. But, you know, sometimes your priorities just change once you're an adult and no longer have, like, weird, weird schedules. Yeah, weird free time, dude. I don't even know how we, like, I'm thinking when we first started the podcast, that year was a fever dream. Like, 2020 to 2021. I mean, that was, like, pandemic times, obviously. But, like, I don't know how we would just go to a million health stores like and we found that entertaining yeah like every week we would go like every week we were like oh my god I just got nutritional yeast from a different place even though it was the same damn thing like I don't know why we did that I I couldn't tell you but honestly I'm happy that's what we considered fun back in the day yeah getting brunch and drinking mimosas um it was it it was very wholesome I'll say that yeah or like doing ketamine in Washington Square Park Mm -hmm. like I'm happy we didn't do those activities but anyways um today's episode is about food in Asia so we did an episode about food in Europe and like talking about more of the food system than food culturally in Europe like we're looking at laws and regulations I think we just did an episode on like nutritional stuff and then people were like wait this is so U.S. focused what about Europe and then someone asked like what about Asia and so I was like that's really smart because when you think about cultural appropriation and wellness particularly you think of things like the gua sha Chinese medicine how we're seeing like buzzy wellness brands profit off of that Um, I think it's really important to know where this stuff originates from and also like when you are consuming content like just to have that awareness of like where stuff comes from because I think it's very easy to get in like a bubble when you are consuming like content or products physically in the United States so hopefully this is a fun educational episode for you girlies yeah there's a lot of good information and you know eastern medicine and practices have definitely influenced a lot of like current western practices especially in relation to like integrative health and like alternative medicine so you know, there's a lot, lot to know, a lot to learn, and a lot to thank from the people of places that don't originate from our from our world. Yeah. So <clears throat> we will get back into the episode. I will call you back and then we'll chat all things Asia. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next partner is a product that Emma and I take every single day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to find a greens powder that actually blended together. The taste is hands down the best greens powder I've been able to find. It even has a mild tropical taste and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, you name it. For me, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I've always known that taking a greens powder is a great addition to one's wellness routine, but I could just never get past the unpleasant taste. This completely changed once I started taking Athletic Greens. It tastes so good that I actually look forward to drinking it every morning, something I never knew was possible. Plus, Athletic Greens contains dairy-free probiotics, and let me tell you, my digestion has never been better. Another thing that Emma and I love is that it's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, let's get into the episode. So to start things off as a disclaimer, obviously each country within the region is going to be very different. This episode is not an anomaly to be like everything that people do in China is the same as Korea and vice versa. So we are kind of sweeping at broad strokes because there's a lot here. And also just another disclaimer, if you've never seen Ember My Faces, neither of us come from Asian descent. So we are speaking as two white girls from the Midwest here. Um, so just to say that in the background, as you are listening to this, um, we want to like pay respects to those who have this knowledge, which is why we're talking about it. But also we are not experts in this field. We are simply talking about it. So to get into a few of like the intro kind of broad questions that I think you guys asked about, because I think when U.S. girlies think about different countries, it's kind of like, okay, what do they eat? How do they move? Like, are they going to the gym obsessively as people in the United States are? To answer those questions, no. People do things very differently in the United States, whether it comes to lifestyle, their relationship to work and their employer and how healthcare is provided, their relationship to movement. Like, I've I've talked about the book before, but it's called, um, oh my God, what is it called? It's my favorite book I love talking about. Uh, Fit Nation by Natalia Melman Petrozella. It looks at fitness culture in the United States. She talks about how weird it is that we go to the gym and we lift these heavy objects in these like very dark, dingy spaces when we used to just walk and hunt and gather, you know? 
Um, so to get into a few of these high level ideas, we're going to start with fermented foods, a gut health favorite for the CMOS girlies. So a few of your favorite fermented foods do have relationship to Asia. Fermentation overall is just like one of the oldest ways to preserve food. When you think about jars and vinegar and like what we had back then, uh, fermented processes are kind of hypothesized to be developed by women sort of through this process of trial and error. Like most women, if not all women were providing meals to the family and food was not just preserved for like winter months or like drought or migration when like food scarce was scarce in those like weird times with climate but it was also used started to be used as a healing medicine to the body um we know a lot about like gut bacteria and what that does and how that promotes you know serotonin and all of that stuff but it's been around for centuries kimchi which is a korean staple um it has been prepared by families back up until like the seventh century i'm gonna mispronounce this one i think it's cheonggu yang Um, It's in the family of being fermented soybeans, so it's similar to something like a miso paste, which I just posted a meme about, and also natto, if you've ever had that before. So those are like food groups that have, not food groups, foods that have come from Asian countries that I feel like I do see now at like Western white health and wellness places that are like, oh my God, we have like natto on our menu and we're going to like charge you a shit ton of money for it. Or like we have miso glazed salmon or we have kimchi or something like that. It's awesome that we are incorporating those things. But I think if people don't have the cultural context to realize that like this shit has been around forever, um, I think that's when a lot of people get gripes with shit like Erwan just like profiting off of these cultures by using these very like precious healing foods in their product and not really talking about like the centuries of history that have created these things to be such health and wellness staples. Um, next ep- or next episode, next uh, topic. Some people asked about sodium. I think a lot of people probably imagine like things like this kind of umami cooking sense or just like soy sauce in general. Asian cuisine often relies on a lot of like sodium heavy sauces, like soy sauce, as I mentioned, also something like a fish sauce. Um, When they say like a typical Asian diet, I'm using this in quotes, they say that it can contain more than 4,600 milligrams of sodium in one day's worth of food. And as we know, high sodium diets are very risky for your long-term health. They can put people at risk for high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, and other heart problems. Um, Current guidelines say that most adults should try to eat less than 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day. So that would be like a guideline that you should go for. China has had the highest salt level for all all products actually by country, which is very weird that we have this data, um, like weird food data that we have in 2023. Um, It's the saltiest country for feet and feet. Oh my God, I cannot read meat and fish products in, in the, and then US is followed by that, then South Africa, then Australia. So yeah, it is true that there can be a lot of sodium, but I feel like if you're a CMOS really, there's ways about that with your cooking. Um, obviously, if you're eating out, you can't really control sodium quality, but if you are cooking a lot of your meals, you can pay attention to that. Um, hot versus cold foods. Emma's going to talk about traditional Chinese medicine more, but the theory behind this and why you might have heard someone say, like, I only drink tea or Maybe you have a family member that like doesn't like eating raw salads or cold beverages or something like that. The theory behind it is that it's much easier to digest hot food because it matches your body's core temperature on the inside. So it creates this process in the body where it takes less energy for you to digest this because we know 
digestion is an energetic process. And then when it comes to cold food, there's added time needed for your body to sort of heat up the food to match its core temperature. I know that sounds really weird, um, but that's sort of how digestion happens in the body. So the theory is that you should never drink ice cold water. You should never eat like the raw, crunchy salads. Emma's going to talk about like Ayurveda a little bit more as well, which we'll get more into like why hot food is a lot more encouraged um in asian cultures and then when it comes to the next sort of like pillar i would say of like health and wellness stuff that sort of stems from asia is like this interest in vegetarianism and a lot of this ties to religion many asian cultures have a very deep-rooted tradition of vegetarianism particularly comes from the religious practices of buddhism or jhanism and these dietary choices are often driven by like principles it's not totally like i think a lot of people in the u.s vegetarianism can be fueled by like an environmental thing but oftentimes in Eastern countries, it's from principles of compassion, nonviolence, respect for all living beings. And so that's why you see so many vegetarian dishes, restaurants, um, why you see it in so many cultures and like why now you're starting to sort of see like, I think vegetarianism and veganism make its way to the Western world. Yeah. Yeah. And then getting into traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, this is definitely something that sets them apart versus like North America and other parts of the world. So like their culture is so deeply rooted in like natural healing and like these concepts of like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine versus like the Western world where it's like we have like no foundation when it comes to like health and wellness. And I think it would definitely be interesting what our society and just like culture would be like if we did have some sort of like foundation or deep respect to natural ways of healing versus just like the modern medical uh, industry that we have today. So traditional Chinese medicine obviously stems from like China and then Ayurveda stems from India, which is part of South Asia. Um, but they both have a lot of similarities. The focus of both of them is really that it's on the patient rather than the disease. So like definitely getting to like the root cause of the issue versus just slapping on a bandaid, which is what we typically see in the Western medical practice field. And they really prioritize like the body mind spirit and like natures and they definitely view all these as like inseparable and it's kind of like a web and so like i said traditional chinese medicine originates in china while ayurveda originated in india but like both have evolved and been around for thousands of years like roughly three thousand years if not if not more so there is so much cultural significance and it has like influenced both like these parts of the world so heavily so getting into specifically traditional chinese medicine um yin and yang is really like the foundation of tcm and this concept is kind of interpreted as like opposites in nature, for example, as like the feminine versus the masculine. And I'm sure like a lot more people have like a little bit of a better understanding of like Ayurveda because it's like so much more centered around like food and like eating healing stuff. And traditional Chinese medicine, it's like a little bit more complex. And I'm sure like, like, you know, Kate and I are very lucky that we live in New York City where there is like a thriving, you know, Asian population. We have Chinatown. So like there's a lot of like herbal shops and a lot of like traditional Chinese medicine, you know, places that you can go for acupuncture and like these really like natural healing practices and treatments that do come from this part of the world versus like, I feel like another, you know, like the Midwest, I wasn't like exposed to any of this, obviously. Um, but like I was talking about with yin and yang, there's like a few different principles that kind of represent rest of traditional Chinese medicine. So the first is going to be like opposites. So yin and yang are opposites. And so like while opposites, they can also be like understood to be as like a relationship. So for example, like darkness is like relative to yin yeah, while yang is relative to light and et cetera. And then the next principle is going to be interdependent. So even though yin and yang are opposite, they are interdependent. So everything that has a yin must have a yang and vice versa. 
and then being mutually transformative. So yin and yang are constantly kind of like in a state of flux and affects each other. So if you have like more yin in your body versus yang, then that's going to influence different like health related issues perhaps. And then the fourth one is going to be mutually consuming. So yin and yang are naturally balanced, but are the like continuously changing. And this change can be very harmonious, but it can also be like very imbalanced. And there's many different like reasons for why this imbalance could occur. And so since yin and yang are in constant flux, if like one becomes a balance, like I said, in the body, some sort of illness can occur. So for example, since like yin is cold an excess of yin could cause like illnesses such as like insomnia and dry mouth. And then like, if you have like a yang deficiency, this could cause like cold limbs and like some sort of like sickly complexion. And so therefore good health is then like maintained by balancing yin and yang. So eating like really nourishing foods, like Kate said, and then also doing a lot of like acupuncture and a lot of like, you know, traditional Chinese like medicine massages just to really like let all that energy to be able to flow and not get blocked through these meridians um and yeah that's why like massages acupuncture and nutrition play a huge role in traditional Chinese medicine um treatments and then getting a little bit into Ayurveda this is kind of based on the idea that there are five elements and there's also three doshas in Ayurveda which I'm sure a lot of people know about I feel like kind of like figuring out what your dosha was was like really really big kind of back in the vegan days there's also a really good Ayurvedic restaurant in New York called Divya's Kitchen that I highly recommend people checking out if you either live in the city or if you're visiting um they have like every meal that basically says it's either like for like the vada type or the kapha which i'll get into in a little bit and it's like a very fun and unique experience um but anyway these like elements and the doshas they're like the guiding principles and are like certain types of energies and they're believed to be responsible for a person's like physiological and like mental health and so getting into a few of the doshas or the three first is going to be vata this is uh closely related to like air and space and there's so many different characteristics i kind of feel like these are almost like your like astrological sign when it comes to like health and wellness so vata is like you're a quick learner you're maybe slim energetic creative minded there's so many different attributes that i'm not going to fully get into you can take like quizzes online um pitta is related to fire and water these type of people typically have like athletic or are well built they're a quick learner motivated goal-oriented strong leadership skills and good metabolism and then kapha is earth and water so someone who maybe has this dosha are going to have like strong bones and joints or perhaps like a sturdy build and then are calm, patient, have good immunity, wise and mature. And so like understanding your dosha can help you understand perhaps what diet and lifestyle choices best suit you. But I think like also this is some like this is an area where you should kind of maybe take things perhaps with a little bit of great assault and like just because like maybe you don't have like a slim energetic build doesn't mean like you can't be classified as a vata. I think like some of the characteristics maybe be like a little too specific at times but there is like so much validity to the doshas and like my one of my managers actually like took some sort of certification class in relation to like ayurvedic nutrition and she believes like really really strongly in like how eating with her dosha she can actually feel like the true effects so like people who are curious about this like i think it's definitely worth exploring but obviously it's like not super easy i think to like maintain especially if you like live in areas that don't fully like you know support or provide access to these type of like healing foods or practices 
Um, and calming Ayurvedic treatments, again, are going to be things like breath work, yoga, herbal medicine, and oils and TCM, you know, you have like Tai Chi, so like exercise, herbalism, nutrition. So there's a lot of overlap. And this is like, these are two areas that I highly suggest kind of like doing further reading and further research on. And like some of the ideas might seem like a little complex and, you know, it's obviously because like, this is like such like foreign concepts to us because we did not all grow up in a culture that really supported these like natural alternative ways of healing. Yeah, I was going to say um, about Ayurvedic medicine that I think it can be really alarming when you first look at it from like a Western perspective, because you look at like, for example, I was a Pitta, which was fire and water. And one of the biggest pieces of advice it was like is like, don't do any sort of high intensity cardio. Don't do any sort of intense working out. Don't eat any f- spicy foods. And as someone who was like a big runner, big athlete, I was like, well, I have to exactly change who I am. So like Emma said, take it with a grain of salt when it comes to all of the lifestyle practices and like play around if it works for you. If it doesn't, um, there's no harm in trying something and it not working. Um, To get into fitness culture, now this is something that is just completely different than the United States, and I feel like most people know subconsciously that like this Eastern way of life is better than what we do in the Western world, but I think it's really hard to imagine like the United States kind of adopting some of these practices in a mainstream way. So when it comes to Japan, not many people, as an example, have a gym gym membership. People would rarely, you know, go on their lunch break and go on a jog or something like that. Japan actually has this term called Kaizen, I think, and the term means continuous improvement. And so when you look at the country, you see that a lot of people are just active throughout the day. You don't see the these designated times to go to a gym and pump iron and take supplements like we do in the United States. In Vietnam and China, for example, it's not uncommon to see people like retail employees or customer service people doing calisthenics together on a street or in a park. If you live in New York City, you might see that like sort of like two bridges area in Chinatown. Um, A lot of people will do this together in a park before they open work or like maybe on their lunch break. And if you go to like any city park in an Asian country in the early hours, you could see a lot of very like fit looking Asian octogenarian people like Peter Atiyah likes to talk about centenarian, his like centenarian decade type thing. I just read his book. So I'm kind of on that longevity kick, but you'll see these people putting themselves through graceful practices of a Tai Chi session. And you might look at it and be like, it's so weird that all these people are doing very coordinated movements. And I've never seen this like from a Western perspective, but when you think about it, moving in community is so much more beneficial than doing stuff isolated, right? You get the social aspect of it. You get the physical fitness aspect of it. And it's going to want make you want to go and return to the movement when you have people that are supporting you. Like team sports in the United States, I guess, are a similar-ish example, but there's like competition and it's very different than how Eastern countries practice movement. And when it comes to studies on like what is the healthiest way to live when it comes to fitness, even amongst like people who exercise, if you do something like sitting for more than six hours a day, according to Harvard researchers, it's giving us type two diabetes and sending us all to an early grave. And so our work system obviously sets us up to work these nine to five, sit in a desk job for the rest of our life. You know, people are buying walking treadmills because they have to be in front of a computer screen all day. So the way that we set up life in the United States is not opting for optimal health outcomes. Um, modern workplaces promote this ill health, you know, ways that employers in the United States could sort of change this would be like giving employees early access to opportunities, like encouraging walking meetings, healthy eating, 
maybe offering standing work desks and like mindfulness sessions. Um, and in a recent survey of a thousand Japanese citizens, I found this very interesting ages 20 to 60, about half of those questions revealed that they barely ever exercised about once a month or not at all, citing that there's not enough time or they don't like doing it. Most people just didn't see it as a part of their lifestyle. And from some more statistics, Vietnam has the lowest level of obesity globally. Hong Kong has the longest life expectancy and Japan has the third longest life expectancy. So it's just to think, I feel like a lot of CMS girlies probably feel that you've been in the over-exercising camp, you've been in the crazy step count, closing the apple rings, eating perfectly, and you might feel stuck or frustrated that you do all these things and you still feel like you're not getting the outcome you want, like the health outcome. And this is kind of proof that, no, like the way that our ancestors were prior to capitalism in the United States and the way that we are the way that we are, and the way that people are doing things in Eastern countries is a lot more beneficial to longevity and health. And so I think it's just like a good idea to remember that you don't have to do all these fancy health and wellness, crazy extreme things in order to live a healthy long life. Yeah. And that kind of gets into like the whole conversation around blue zones and some of the principles because Okinawa, Japan is a region that is considered a blue zone because they're highly known for their longevity. And um, the main pillars when it comes to blue zones, we did an episode on this if you're someone who wants to learn more about it, is really like there's some sort of like dedication to like community. You have really, really strong network, you know, being active throughout the day versus like doing like one workout session and sitting all day and being sedentary and then eating like a very like minimally processed diet and then just like having this overall like sense of like joy and purpose in your life which are all things that we're kind of devoid of in our current society um but in okinawa japan they do have like intense dedication to their friends and family they have these network these networks called moai and they're like lifelong circles that support people all throughout life as they age and you know they'll help each other out whether it's like health or monetary reasons and i feel like the closest thing that like we maybe used to have to that in the u.s is like going to church and like that sense of community and like helping your you know fellow parishioners out but of course like there's been kind of like this full de-churching movement for multiple reasons and i really only think that like if we were all to go back to church or like really prioritize our community we could get to something similar to that but i don't feel too strongly in that in the long term for us and then they just feel this overall strong sense of purpose in their life which is like why they feel so excited and encouraged to like wake up early and they take pride in the work that they do as well and then their diet is actually largely plant-based so they eat a lot of purple sweet potatoes which i feel like they're like most known for tofu veggie stir fries and then they're just like active walkers and gardeners so like i said just like movement throughout the day and like being active and doing just like really natural like human movements versus like being on some sort of like hip abduction machine and then kind of compared to like other parts of Asia, like it's definitely going to be like more laid back and they're going to like have these type of principles that definitely influence their day-to-day life versus other parts of like mainland Asia where like, you know, they have likely adopted more of like the Western culture practices, especially when it comes to like living in like a capitalistic society. So like high productivity, personal gain, social media, and like also have adopted a lot of like more of the Western food that we eat, such as like McDonald's and, you know, other cuisines of that nature. And, you know, Okinawa has been, like, slower to adopt these cultures versus other areas. And then kind of to round out, um, kind of talking about, like, the growing interest in Eastern medicine in the U.S. is obviously comes as no surprise as, like, health and wellness has become so, so, so mainstream. And a lot of, like, these interests and topics and things that we all partake in all have close roots to traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and, like, other um, natural ways of healing that are closely tied to Asia. So there's a 2017 study 
that basically found that like half of Americans have tried some form of alternative medicine in their lifetime and a fifth have tried alternative medicine instead of conventional. And a lot of these reasons can vary. You know, this can include like being like really weary, like medical advice from, you know, the medical industry that we currently have wanting to learn more about like the provider's recommendations. And like a lot of us just growing dissatisfied with like the small amount of time that we get with our doctors and like feeling like we're just constantly getting prescribed like a pill for every ill and not really like them getting to know us or like our true health concerns or history. And also in the US, like healthcare coverage is not guaranteed. So some people will just choose to take alternative forms because of like fear of medical bills and like stuff not being covered. And I think like people just like want autonomy in their lives as well, especially like things are like so scary these days that like people feel that like this is like the one area of their life that they can have some control over. Um, and so of course it's like important to talk about like the Western world has taken away a lot of cultural significance of these like ancient practices and have found ways to profit off it. For one example, it's like acupuncture with this originated in China and is like such a well-known treatment in, in China and Asia. And yet 50% of the acupuncturists in the U S are white, which is more than double the number of Chinese acupuncturists. And then a lot of the clients who are getting acupuncture are also white women, And there's still stigmas against like who are not white and practice in the space or seek these treatments versus like white abled women. Like a lot of people definitely like get shame if they aren't white and like are practicing as an acupuncturist and they might, you know, people might consider them as like crazy and weird and like doing stuff that isn't like rooted in science versus like someone who is like a white woman might actually be like celebrated for getting this like alternative treatment. Another example is going to be like the gua sha. So beauty companies like obviously caught and of like the the tool and its like benefits and use and so they immediately started to profit off this and like create their own washas and really forgetting like the cultural significance and like really really failing to educate consumers about like a where the washa originated why it's important like what it does to your body more than just like you know toning your face and like making you like young and snatched so that's kind of all to say like make sure you're supporting asian and indian owned businesses of course that requires like personal research but that is like a quick google google search google search away and if you do live in an area like you know new york where where there is like a thriving like chinatown community like definitely go there support those businesses you know buy herbs there if you can um go there to get acupuncture versus like you know the expensive white woman place in the upper east side just because you know those people have so much to offer to us and it's like unfortunate that those cultures are now like the type of people that can no longer even access the the treatments and practices that they you know come from yeah and to round up episode we're going to talk more about like the food system so i was thinking a lot about like additives and food laws and kind of how governance works in asia so to start off more with like traditional asian diet like what that would even mean because we hear the words like standard american diet all the time um so when it comes to things like food system to starting off with Japan, their food system is highly dependent on imports. They have a self-sufficiency ratio of about 38% on a caloric basis, which means that their food system has a lot more improvements in terms of like regenerative agriculture and making it a more circular economy. On top of that, a lot of Japanese households on average throw away about 40% of edible food. Now, this is, if you remember the stats in the US, I think the US is something like we throw away three fourths percent. Don't quote me on that. It could be really wrong, but I know it's more than 40%. Um, but that's just a good thing to keep in the back of your head. Japan's agriculture, forestry, and fishing industries are facing a huge shortage of labor due to the aging of the population, which I found very interesting. And then also you can imagine climate change impacting like 
all of the crops and agriculture in these countries. China is now the world's largest agricultural producer, which accounts for more than 25% of agricultural production by value. It's also the world's largest meat producer, and it accounts for about 28% of the world's rice and 22% of the world's corn cultivation. And so Chinese food system is extremely important in the global food system, and it's experiencing so many effects from climate change. But at the same time, the Chinese food system is a major driver of environmental damage, contributing to about 19% of GHG emissions in China. Um, And so when it comes to like food system laws, like what interventions can make a more habitable food system, Asia is now home to more than half of the world's middle class. And that number is rising, but compared, you know, compared to the United States and Europe, which have traditionally like held that population title, Asia is very much a net importer of food. They import about 100 billion pounds of food a year or 100 billion dollars of food a year sorry and singapore imports over 90 percent of its food india used to export more of its commodities but now it's a net importer and so there's this dangerous mismatch in the food system happening in asia and as we saw with like covid the system's very stretched and it's going to get very worse so when we think about food security and inequality i feel like that's something we brush over a lot when we think about like who has access to food because there are a lot of food deserts and food apartheid in the United States. But I feel like most times people don't think about food security unless they themselves are going through a period of insecurity. And I don't think we have as drastic of food insecurity as is happening in Asia right now. Um, More than a billion people in Asia lack also like healthy diets or what would be considered medically healthy when we think about food quality due to this poverty due to food prices which have soared to records highs this year the agri-food systems in the region are also like underpinned by 450 million smallhold farmers which produce so much of the food so there's this huge inequality where so many people are the backbone and the labor of the food system in china and in other asian countries but they're not reaping the benefits of it from getting quality healthy food and so ultimately what we need would be innovations in the way that we grow trade transport food in the ways that we store food and like consume food because these are going to be critical to building these resilient equitable circular economic systems and then also like sustainable food systems um, because as much of like 27% of rice as an example 20% of fruits and vegetables in Southeast Asia are lost before they reach the consumer and so as we know as things get worse with like warm humid climates this sort of climate irregularity um, supply chain issues like people are not getting access to food so while we love to fixate on like I think health and wellness things like your health and wellness needs cannot be met if you do not have the bare minimum, if you do not have food on the table and food access. And yeah, I mean, this is obviously a country by country thing, a city, local, municipal thing. But at the same time, like countries in Asia are governed pretty similarly when it comes to food stuff. Like most have departments and boroughs on food safety and food quality. There's also like world organizations that are these like overarching bodies like the FAO and the United Nations. So there's definitely opportunity for food uh, policy interventions. Now, whether that happens and in what scale, we will see. But that's all to say there's a lot of um, like like a lot of the food system globally is reliant on what happens in Asia. And so as we are facing a climate crisis, this is just something to pay attention to and like what will happen with the health of everyone. So, yeah, that's the episode on Asian countries. Um, I feel like we touched on a lot, but also we touched on a little, if that makes sense. Like we touched on a lot of breath, but also like not that in depth on stuff. So let us know if you want any other regions, countries, stuff like that. Um, The research was fun. I feel like it was a little bit different than other pods we've done recently.
Yeah, I definitely would also maybe consider doing an episode like fully on traditional Chinese medicine because I think there's like so much to uncover there. So if you guys want like a full Ayurvedic episode, traditional Chinese medicine, let us know because we are always open for recommendations. Let us know in the comments below, I guess in Geneva or I guess DM us on Instagram. That'll work. Um, but a pleasure to pod. Happy Tuesday to all the CMOS girlies. I hope you guys are having some quirked up CMOS girlies moments. Please share with us. We love to giggle and repost them on the story. And like that, I will, you know, talk to you tomorrow, Emma, and I'll talk to you girlies next week. Yes. Yes. We'll be chit-chatting away like we usually do. I hope everyone has a beautiful week. We'll catch you next week. See ya, girlies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.